You've been sold the idea that financial independence is all about some number on your account statement. Or even worse, that you don't qualify because of where you started out. That's just not true. It's not about some well-kept secret of the wealthy. It's about finding the right information and knowing how to apply it. On the Get Ready for the Future show, we're answering your questions so you can start making real financial change today. The journey to true financial independence begins right here, and it starts with you. Helping people discover, protect, and share true financial independence. This is the Get Ready for the Future show. We welcome you in. Glad to have you along once again. My name is Scott Inman, along with Janet Walker today on the show, taking your questions, and you can get them to us by calling or texting them to this number, 501-381-5228. You're going to want to write that number down. Here it is again, 501-381-5228. You can hear your questions answered on the Get Ready for the Future show. If you'd rather email them, you can also do that by sending an email to show at getreadyforthefuture.com. Big day in economic data. We're going to get into that today with one of our questions today because I know people, Janet, are concerned about the economy. Right. Pretty much all the time, but especially over the last couple of years with inflation. We've got some new inflation numbers to talk about, so we'll get into that. But we'll dive right in with Trevor from Fayetteville for our first question today. And Trevor writes, I was planning to retire in 2024, but I keep hearing that there's going to be a recession this year, and I don't want to run out of money. What should I do? Thanks for your question, Trevor. And talking about the recession, we'll kind of get into that first. So I think the important thing to step off into here is we do hear that a lot right now right. Uh, in client meeting rooms, or, or I should say uh, potential clients who are coming in to talk to us. That is a chief concern of, well, I don't really want to make any major moves right now with my investments because I'm unclear about where we're headed in the economy. Because the talk about recession, I mean, we're in now almost two full years of yeah. a recession is coming, a recession is coming, almost like Paul Revere, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and at what point right. is that an accurate statement? I, I mean, it's the old deal of a, a broken clock is right twice a day. Yeah. You know, at some point, it will be accurate to have said a recession is coming. Okay, now here it is. Here we are at this point. But the, the question, I go back to what is your personal economy, not the economy, but what is your personal economy and what impact does that have on your timing for retirement? And Scott, you're dealing in the fastest four this week mm-hmm. with economic data. Tell people a little bit about conflicting information there. <laughs> exactly. You know, you think about it, if you are worried about a recession is coming, a recession is always coming. And to mm-hmm. Janet's point, we just don't know when. And even the best minds in economics right now. If you read uh, several economists, if you pick the five economists that you wanted to read uh, a commentary on today, you're going to get divergent thoughts on mm-hmm. if there's going to be a recession and if so, how bad is it going to be? You mentioned the data and we talked about that at the top of the show. We got inflation data for the month of June released today as we record uh, the Get Ready for the Future show on July 12th. And we found out inflation year over year in June was Get ready for it, 3%. Now, that's good news. That is the historical average in the United States, roughly, uh, over a long period of time, the annual inflation rate. But is it good news? Because the Fed has been raising rates, right? We know that. They've been raising interest rates in an effort to cool off demand, which in turn should uh, slow the pace of rising prices. And it's worked. They've been doing it now for more than a year. And we've seen the inflation rate drop from 8% year over year down to 3% year over year. But their target, as they have clearly communicated time and time again, is 2%. 
Okay, so we're mm-hmm. not there yet. And, right. And they have indicated in many cases since they last uh, met in June and did not raise interest rates that they were still likely to do it one or two more times this year. So the battle is won potentially with inflation, but the war is not over when it comes to the economy. And that's why you have this pivot between economists on are we going to head in a recession? Because you also have earnings. Future earnings are, are starting to cool. Uh, the labor market is starting to cool, mm-hmm, but we mm-hmm. still have a very low unemployment rate and we still have good wage growth. So all of these things are fighting against each other. And every piece of data that comes out, it sends the market one way or another. So this unstable market time is is just going to be there for a little while. If By the way, if you do want to learn more about uh, the economy and the markets, we do a piece every week called The Fastest Four Minutes in Finance. And you can get that delivered directly to your email inbox by texting the word FAST to the number I gave you at the beginning of the show, 501-381-5228. We're not going to bombard your email inbox mm-hmm. with anything other than that video piece. It comes out on Friday morning, okay? And it's always guaranteed to be four minutes or less. That's yeah. our pledge. It usually comes in around three. I very rarely get to four. But <laughs> we produce that on Wednesdays, and it comes out on Fridays. You can learn a little bit about the markets, a little bit about the economy. But the bottom line here, Janet, is we've, we've kind of given that as the header is – uh, Trevor is hearing there's going to be a recession. Maybe there's going to be one. Maybe there's not. But when you keep a long-term perspective on when you're going to retire, you can't let a recession dictate when you're going to choose to walk away from work. Yeah. Uh, Trevor, we've looked at this on more of a national and to some degree even a global scale in in answering this initially. But I want to circle back to to you personally we don't know what your story is, you know, how ready you are for retirement financially. But the key that we would say in this is to be proactive versus reactive. If you're hearing about a recession and going, ah, I don't I don't want to retire, that is a reaction rather than being proactive. And so one of the best ways that, that we would say for you to be proactive is to plan. And uh, as we put together plans for our pre-retirees to roll into retirement, those plans have built into them the the fact that they are ready for a recession at any point. Because the reality is, as Scott has indicated, you know, he's talked about if you were to look at, you know, your random five pick of of economists that you want to look at and say, what are their thoughts about a recession you're not going to get five of the exact same thoughts. They're going to be divergent in thought. And so we don't really know when a recession is coming. So your plan has to be personalized to you, and it has to have you prepared for a recession at any point. Here's here's the danger in this uh, rolling of the dice and depending on yeah. whether we have a recession or not to determine the success or failure of your retirement. This is how significant of a deal this is. Um, we're going to talk about two people. We will call them Joe and Jane, um, who had the exact same amount of money when they retired. Lots of other things in common. I'll delineate those in just a moment. But the key is that they retired 10 years apart, okay? So they were the same age when they retired, and they both had $500,000 when they retired. They both chose to do a typical 60-40, I say typical, it's not typical at GenWealth, but that's what they did, a typical 60-40 stock versus bond allocation. And they both had the same withdrawal rate, and they both gave themselves the same raises over the years. So... Joe retires at age 65 in 1966. 
and Jane retires also at age 65, but it's in 1976. So the difference here between what they did and what our clients do is that their uh, investments were dependent not upon the plan, but upon what their investment products gave them in terms of a return. There's a key difference between depending on a product and depending on a plan. And so what happens is Joe starts, again, same amount of money, but Joe's rolling along and at year 81, uh, at, at age 81, I should say, in 1982, he's completely out of money. And that is because he ran into some slightly negative returns early on, not even anything really ugly. But because he took a hit early on, then those assets wound up being exhausted by the time he hit age 81. Compare that to Jane. Again, everything else is the same, except that she retired at a time when her early years gave her very positive returns. And so she winds up at age 81, by the way, with $1.2 million, while Joe is broke at that point. Roll on out to age 85, she's actually got $1.7 million. She started with 500000 and she ends up with one point seven. The challenge that any pre-retiree faces is, realistically speaking, you have no idea whether it's 1966 or 1976. Right. You cannot control that, and it doesn't matter how many economists you study, and, and it, it, it simply does not matter. You cannot determine that. So you have to have a proactive plan in place that will work regardless of whether it is 1966 or 1976, Scott. These are just actual returns applied in a hypothetical situation that Joe retired in 66, Jane retired in 76, invested the exact same way, Mm -hmm. and Joe was out of money by age 81, and Jane had $1.2 at age 81. And, and I did a little quick math, too. You talked about just mildly negative yeah, returns yeah. for Joe early on. In the first seven years, he's actually up 30%. He has 30% cumulatively, yeah. cumulative returns, mm-hmm. but because he is withdrawing money and gets some negative returns early on, that can crater the portfolio. Yeah. It can destine it for a zero balance. So the points here, uh, going back to Trevor's question, he doesn't want to run out of money and he's worried there's going to be a recession. The antidote is to plan. Mm -hmm. A plan is not an account value, an investment statement, or even just a simple strategy. A plan is a robust and dynamic retirement income plan that shows you how much you can withdraw on a monthly basis, giving yourself raises. But the strategy at GenWealth, we break this apart into buckets of money so that we can push sequence risk out of the way. Right, Mm -hmm. Janet? Because Mm -hmm. you can put some money in safer, conservative investments that you are withdrawing today, that you're withdrawing next month, that you're withdrawing in the next year, maybe even several years, before you expose it to market risk. And you me- you mentioned sequence risk. I want to be sure. Yes. I mean, we've kind of talked around that, but to define that, it is a sequence of return risk is, is whether you're going to have positive returns or negative returns early in your retirement. And it really can have a tremendous impact on your overall retirement picture if your plan is not built to withstand either the positive or the negative. Yeah. So I would say to, to Trevor to wrap up here, to think about what your income needs and your income desires are in retirement first. Because if you lay that out, your mindset shifts from 
do I have enough because my asset level just went down because I may have been invested in the stock market in 2022 and lost 20% and more toward what can what kind of income can my portfolio possibly produce mm-hmm. and that only comes through the planning process. And uh, Trevor, I would add one more thing. Um at some point you get to the point where you go, you know what? I'm just really over this whole working thing. Like I'm yeah. really ready to be done with it. And and I'll say that not just to Trevor, but to anybody out there listening that when you get to the point that you go, okay, I'm done, frankly before that if you if you can but it's time to get a plan together because we have seen too many people work until their last breath, quite literally, simply because they thought they had to. The, the news on any given day will give you 17 reasons to not retire right now. You've got to look at your picture and decide when is it important for you to retire. And if you can pull the trigger on that according to your plan, then go ahead. We'd love to help you, Trevor. If you want to walk through the GenWealth Ready to Retire process, you can call us toll-free, 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. Or you can send us an email, show at getreadyforthefuture.com. We'll get back with you uh, and get an appointment set for you in the GenWealth office near you. And that same number, or actually it's not the same number, different number, for (laughs) sending in your questions, 501-381-5228. You can get your questions into the Get Ready for the Future show Call them in, leave a voicemail, or just send us a text to hear your questions on the air. Moving on to our next question, it's Gail from Cabot. Gail writes, I'm starting a new job in a few weeks. I have been contributing to my current employer plan for about nine years, and I don't know what to do with that money. Also, how do I know if my new employer plan is going to be invested in a way that's beneficial to me? Thanks for your question, Gail. We'll break this into two parts as well. The first part is I don't know what to do with that money. So we're talking about a current employer plan. She just left a job after nine years. So this is now, we'll assume it's a 401k, could be a 403b. But if you leave your employer and that plan is with your former employer, you do have options. And I think we need Mm -hmm. to lay it out, first of all, just to give you the options and then kind of walk through uh, the potential pros and cons of those. So the, the four options, uh, the first one is that you could cash it out. Now, I want to go ahead and be very specific about this one because it, it's the one that scares the fool out of me when people hear this uh, because then it feels like you've got this big piggy bank. But if you cash it out, you're going to deal with, with taxes and penalties at that point, and many times you're going to come home with a very small percentage relative to what you originally had uh, especially if you're not 59 and a half yet. So you've, you've got that 10% penalty on top of whatever taxes you would be exposed to. So cashing it out is technically an option, but probably not the wisest choice on the list. Uh, second choice is you have the option uh, to leave it in the old plan. The third one is you'd likely have the option of transferring it into your new plan. The reason I hesitate just a little bit on that is it simply depends on the rules of your new employer plan, but in many cases that is going to be an option for you. And then the fourth option is that you have the ability to roll it over. And let me explain. I think we we throw around the term rollover without explaining it a lot of times. So in many cases these days, Gail, people have a combination of pre- and post-tax in their retirement plans, whether it's a 401k or whatever you might specifically have. So those would go into either a traditional IRA pre-tax 
or a Roth IRA post-tax. So you have the ability to go to those two separate types of accounts if you do a rollover. That is a non-taxable event as opposed to like cashing it out. That's going to be taxed. Doing a rollover is a non-cash, I mean, non-taxable event. When you think about some of the things to consider to here, we don't know how old Gail is. We don't know how much money has accumulated over those nine years. If she's mm-hmm. really run hard at it, it could be a pretty substantial amount. But some other things to consider, even if you're, if you're not Gail and you're listening today and you've left the job, if it's, if it's a smaller balance and you're younger, this is a great opportunity for you. If it is yeah. a pre-tax uh, contribution into that 401k, you can also consider rolling it to a traditional IRA and then actually converting it to a Roth IRA. Now, you have to pay the taxes uh, on the money. So, again, probably you want to think about it, if, especially if you're going to do it all of the balance. It needs to be probably a small balance. But so oftentimes somebody may be uh, 30, 32 years old, and they've been able to get maybe thirty dollars or $40,000 into that 401K, and they go and they change jobs. If they roll that over to a traditional IRA and then convert it to a Roth, they'll have to pay the taxes on $30,000 at that point in Mm -hmm. their life, but they have decades more than likely until they retire and will need that money. And it's a great opportunity to pay the taxes now and then get it into a Roth IRA, which if you're not familiar with, allows for tax-free growth uh, for the duration uh, that it is in that account. And then when you withdraw it in retirement, it's tax-free. So there's a great opportunity there. Uh, and then I also think about some other things to consider. If Gail may not be close to retirement age, uh, mm-hmm. but if you are, you have to think about the investment options inside of your uh, former employer plan and even the new employer plan versus an IRA. Because I always say the investment universe is open inside of the IRA. It is right. not likely in the employer plan. Yeah, you, you really have uh, any investment choice on the planet pretty much available to you through either a traditional or a Roth IRA that IRA label, traditional or Roth, either one, is really just telling us how it gets treated tax-wise. But you have tons of choices uh, um, that you can choose from as far as how those dollars actually get invested. Where inside any corporate retirement plan, just by the nature of it being a corporate retirement plan, you're going to be somewhat limited in how those dollars get invested. Doesn't mean that it's necessarily a bad choice, but it is going to be more limited as far as the product availability that you have. Um, Scott, I want to talk about the second part yep. of Gail's question mm-hmm. here. She says, how do I know if my new employer plan is going to be invested in a way that's beneficial to me? Gail, I, I would tell you, first of all, to look to see if there is a match. And if there is a match, then I'm going to tell you that it's beneficial to you, mm-hmm. regardless of what your investment choices are. And here's what I mean by this. If you put in $100 and there's a dollar-for-dollar match, then you have $200 before the money is even invested. You have $200. If you put in $100 and you have a, a 50, you know, 50 cents on the dollar match, then you have $150 before the money is even invested. It is really hard to beat the benefit of a match. So we would look at that and say it is beneficial if it comes with a match. Now, beyond that, obviously, you do need to consider the investment choices and look at how those dollars need to be allocated. That's where working with an advisor really through both parts of this question here, the question about what to do with the uh, the assets that you've built up over nearly a decade of working at the, at the previous job and then the choices about the investments in the next one. Um, Scott, many times we see that when somebody's hired at a new job, 
they're given a packet and and it's about you know all the benefits including the 401k and it's hey fill this out and get it back to us on friday and and it's that's pretty much the extent of the investment quote unquote advice that they get and so gail if you're if you're looking at this decision that is in front of you and you go i need somebody to coach me on this that's what we do as financial advisors. Yeah, and here's the reality. We get it. You're starting a new job. There's a lot on your mind, yeah, right? You, yeah. It's probably the last thing you're worried about is trying to figure out what investment is right for me in a new employer plan. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is employers recognize that, but they also don't really give the advice. So they put a default in or the 401k uh, plan offers a default investment. And oftentimes that uh, is a what's called a target date fund. And you see right. those, they're getting more and more popular. In fact, I've seen employer plans that that's all there is. Uh, the only choice in there, not an individual mutual fund, but basically a blended fund that has a year on it. And, mm-hmm. and you're given a year that may or may not be when you're going to retire. If you're younger, you, you typically get one out in the 2045, 2050 range when you may retire. And if you're really close to retirement, they may have you in a 2035 fund, 2030 fund, right? Well, what does that really mean? A target date fund is basically a, a mix of an allocation to stocks and an allocation to bonds. And the farther out that year is, the more you're going to be allocated to stocks. And as you get closer to that year, there's going to be a glide path that moves that allocation more to bonds. And that may or may not be what you want to be doing. And that's where kind of helping, uh, working with a financial advisor can help you make those decisions, not in a vacuum. Because, I mean, I think of a couple of things when I think about that is you may not want to, it depends on, do you want to be more aggressive than they're allowing you to be in that target date fund? Do you want to be more conservative rather than have it set uh, a default button? But the other part of it too is, is we tend to like money going in to be more aggressive because of the opportunity to, to take advantage of dollar cost averaging. Well, and I think you also have to question, uh, again, I don't know how old Gail is and, and her proximity to retirement, but depending on your age, you, you also have to question how um, how aggressive or how conservative the fund really is compared to what it might appear to be on the outside. And what I mean by that is when Scott talks about this combination of stocks and bonds and that the closer you are to retirement, the more bonds there are. Well, most people are going to look at bonds as being more conservative. But as interest rates rise, bond prices and interest rates sit on opposite sides of the seesaw. So when one side goes up, the other goes down. It's a scientific relationship. You can't change that. And so in the last few years, as interest rates have gone up, that meant that bond prices on the other side of the seesaw went down. And so people were in these things like a target date fund thinking that they were conservatively invested. They had a good portion of their money in bonds and they were seeing a decrease in the value. Now, some didn't see it quite so much because they're adding money into it and that's a little bit deceptive. But if you look at the value of the actual holdings, then it was decreasing during that time because interest rates were going up. So what they felt like was a conservative investment in a target date fund really wound up being pretty uh, volatile during that period of time. So it's important to understand uh, not just the perception of what an investment is, but really what it is under the under you know the cover to say, how is this going to act in certain circumstances? So if you're like Gail and you just left uh, a job for a new job and you have that 401k sitting behind, I think the first part of Gail's question is what to do with it. Work with the financial advisor. Know your options as we walk through here today 
and to fi- and figure out with an advisor's help what is best for you. And then as far as if the new employer plan is going to be invested in a way that's beneficial to me, we'd say, yes, get in it. Start contributing. Get the match, but work with an advisor to determine which investment choices are right for you there. All right, we're moving on to our next question. Derek from Benton writes in, I'm 52 and own a small business. I haven't really spent a whole lot of time or resources focusing on my retirement because I've been putting that into my business. It's hitting me that this might have been a mistake. Is it too late for me? What should I do? Derek, thanks very much. And we have a small business owner right here next to me. So (laughs) this is going to be a very easy question for you to kind of walk through. Uh, The first part is 52 is not too late. Let's go ahead and start with there. Uh, Derek, it's never too late. Even if you're starting at at ground zero, Um, I have a client who is 56 years old, not starting at ground zero and not a small business owner, but just met with him last week. He's got about $300,000 saved for retirement. Uh, So he's, he's got a little nest egg going there, but he wants to retire at 65. And when you think about that, your mind can really easily go, he's only got nine years. Yeah. Uh, And and how much does he need? And of course his plan tells him how much he needs, but even in a nine year window, you can run pretty hard if you have the income to do it. If you have the margin in your life to contribute to those investment accounts, nine years is still a very long time. So I'm looking at Derek from Benton at 52. And again, we don't know his exact situation, but he still has some time. Yeah. Yeah. And Derek, I would say that there are several uh, things that you need to be thinking about. One of them uh, is the future value of the business. Um, it, it is it is very common to hear business owners, and, and I've done this in the past. I will tell you, I, I'm past this, and I will never say it again. But you hear business owners very often say, "Well, this is my baby," you know, and they're they're not going to sell it. They're you know, it's it's their baby. Your business is not your baby; it is an investment, and every investment has a lifespan. And you buy it at a certain point, or as a business owner, you create it as a certain point at a certain point, if you will. But then there comes a point when you are no longer that business owner. And we need to begin thinking about what that liquidation event might look like. And is there going to be an opportunity for you to transition this to owners inside of the business uh, that are already there with you currently? Would it be sold potentially to somebody beyond you? And if you're, and if you're sitting there like most business owners and going, can nobody run this place mm-hmm. but me. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to tell you, you're 52 and you have time to change that. And it would be one of the wisest things that you could do because if you get it in a position where somebody else can run it and somebody else can make money, not off of your baby, but off of your investment, then if you get to that point, then you have created tremendous value. We're going to talk about the investment side. That's really what you asked about, more traditional investments, but your business is likely incredibly valuable. Um, the, what got me to change this, this verbiage personally, I was watching a video online of Robert Hershevik. Uh, most people will be familiar with that name from Shark Tank. And he talked about when he created, he built his first business and he was getting ready to sell it. And it was a, a huge, huge deal. And he called the guy uh, the night before they were supposed to sign the papers on the deal. And he said, I can't sell this. It's my baby. I can't do it. And the guy goes, what do you mean it's your baby? That's not your baby. Like, your baby is like your kids. This is not your baby. This is an investment. And every investment has a lifespan. 
and really encouraged him to think about that in that way. So I, I, I don't want you to ignore the value that your business holds. Um, so that's a, that's a big soapbox mm-hmm. of mine uh, that Scott is seeing play out here yeah. at GenWealth as we prepare for the next generation. You know, uh, it's still a good ways down the road for us, but we're preparing that group now for that opportunity in the future. Um, but Scott, let's take a little bit of time to talk about some more traditional investment opportunities that Derek would have as a, as a business owner. Yeah, and we don't have any idea how he has structured his business, whether it's an LLC or uh, an S-Corp or whether he's just 1099 in his way through this. But obviously, if he spent a lot, whole lot of time and resources focusing uh, on his small business, chances are he's structured it in a way where he's probably an employee uh, of the business and he's the owner of the business. And if that's the case, and he, and really, it, there's a great opportunity to get some money into tax-deferred accounts. The easiest way, and this is what we do here uh, at GenWealth, and it's very, very easy to uh, implement and start working for a small business, and that's a simple IRA. So when you talk about employer plans, you think of a 401k. That's typically used for larger companies. The simple IRA is for smaller companies, and they the catch-up, uh, or rather the contribution limits are a little bit less than a 401k, but they're getting pretty attractive. When mm-hmm. you think about inflation has helped uh, the IRS raise those over the last couple of years. So you can actually put up to $15,500 annually into a simple IRA. And it, in Derek's case, he's 52 years old, he tells us, if you've reached age 50, and that would be defined as if you turn 50 this year, you would be able to add to that. $3,500. So when you think about that, that's $19,000 mm-hmm. you can get into a simple IRA, which is tax-deferred growth account or a tax-deferred retirement account, which also allows you to reduce your taxable income uh, as an employee. And then you can match the money on the employer side. Uh, 3% is is the common match. I think that's even the maximum match. Yeah, isn't yeah it? it you is. You can go up to 3 so you get 3% employer match, and the employee, the employer side actually benefits from tax uh, tax deductions as well. Right, so a dollar-for-dollar dollar match uh, up to that, that 3% marker. And, Derek, I would say if you're thinking, well, I don't know that I can do, you know, $15,500, if your business has the cash flow, remember that you're the one who determines what you make. And so if you, as the business owner, go, Okay, instead of just keeping retained earnings in the business of this amount of money, if I give myself a raise, then I am able to contribute to my simple because a lot of business owners will underpay their own salaries relative to the value that they bring to the table. So I really want to challenge you to look at that. And and if the business can afford for you to pay yourself what you are worthy of being paid as a business owner, then adjust that so that you can do the simple IRA contributions. And that's something that uh, if you need somebody to help you set this up, that we we do simples for our clients, for our business owners on a regular basis, so we can come out and, and help your team with that as well. Let me circle back to another potential benefit of doing this is obviously we're focusing on Derek's retirement here. And, and I think of a, a, an employer that we work with, he's, he's a client here, he, he has a, uh, a business up in the Conway area, and he has, I'm not sure what he's up to as far as uh, number of employees now, but it's, it, it's several dozen. And he, he was very focused on his own retirement, but he was also very focused on a simple IRA plan for his business. Mm-hmm. And he has us come in from time to time, uh, especially when he makes new hires, if yeah. he's made a handful of new hires. And we do an educational workshop on the benefits of those young guys 
coming in and starting to invest in their retirement. And guess what? There's data out there, Janet, that suggests that you're going to retain employees. If you Mm -hmm. are concerned about their financial health, their financial well-being, and their retirement, you're going to keep them. It shows that they want to stay with you because they have benefits and they have someone who cares. Yeah, we we're actually going through a process with our team right now at GenWealth of talking about personal, professional, and financial goals. And and some people will say, well, what what kind of business are my personal goals? You know, to my employer. But we've had had a lot of training on this before we dove into it, and and it unites the team. You know, there may be something that they don't want to share, and that's fine. But it unites the team in this unified purpose of moving forward and. And that can include things like the simple IRA, that if they have financial goals like a retirement timeline and you are compensating them relative to their value, including a retirement plan, it really does strengthen that relationship. And and Scott, we see regularly that, you know, when these young people come in and young people becomes a wider and wider term as the older we get, Scott, <laughs> but as these young people come in to a working environment and have the opportunity to have a retirement plan that has a match on it in those early years, then their possibilities for their retirement in the future are just beyond what we could have fathomed in our early years as business owners. Well, you heard the final bell, and that means it is time for our final thoughts. Our thanks to Trevor and Gail and Derek for their questions today. And Janet, we'll start with you on the final thoughts. Oh, gosh, I'm kind of all over the map after all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would I would just say that if you if one of these questions resonated with you, if you're like, well, I'm not Derek from Benton, but I'm a business owner and that one really hit home for me or whatever topic it might have been that we talked about. If that question resonated with you, we are here to help people work through their own personal financial challenges, whether you need to to reach out to us to get seven steps to financial independence or you need to meet with an advisor. There are lots of steps along the way where we can help you. Just feel free to reach out to you. The number that you can call uh, toll-free is 866-653-PLAN, 866-653, and the number is 7526. I'm going to have a couple of final thoughts here. I go back to Trevor's question early on in the show, asking about, uh, worried about a recession coming and should he do anything, don't want to run out of money, too scared to retire in 2024 because of that possibility. There's always going to be uncertainty in the market. You can't let uncertain economic conditions and the fears over recession dictate whether you're going to plan for retirement or how you're going to plan for retirement. I want to encourage anybody out there listening today that is frozen in place over that, uh, Don't let that stop you from planning. True financial independence doesn't depend on what's going on in the economy. And there is an offering for you, Janet mentioned. It's seven steps to financial independence. You can get started by texting the word STEPS to 501-381-5228 or visit getreadyforthefuture.com forward slash steps or email us. And you can email us about anything. Just send it to show at getreadyforthefuture.com. And that's all the time we have for this week's show. Again, thanks to our questions. If you have a question, just send it in to us. Call in, leave a voicemail, or text the question to 501-381-5228. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. 
And if you want to help us get the word out on building towards financial independence, leave us a rating and review. The GenWealth Financial Team is available to you 24-7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial.